All right, welcome to part two on the series Free Your Mind. And with this one, I title it A War for Your Mind, or How to Free Yourself from Indoctrination. Because every day, hour, minute, you are bombarded by arguments. And you might not think of them as arguments. Most people think of arguments as someone's yelling or debating with you. But really, an argument is something designed to persuade you against something else. And I would say most arguments in the world will set your very thoughts against God's truth. And it's very easy to believe that you are immune by looking at behaviors going to church, calling yourself a Christian, um, listening to music, voting a particular way. Those can be behaviors that we think protect us. But if you really reflect on it, none of those really are strong defenses against your mind being taken captive by the world. So here are a couple of things to defend against this daily onslaught. And if you're wondering if it's even worth defending it, you know, we're going to start to piece some of that out before I go into how to do that. Like part of life is if you agree with the way everybody else is operating, you're less likely to feel at odds. You're more likely to be accepted. I mean, that's just a common common nature is nobody really wants to be the lobster that's trying to get out and then everyone gets grabbed back down. So there's a lot of incentive, a lot of motivation. And I've told you about the guy who pretty much looked around, saw what other people were doing, and said, well, they seem to know the right path. I'm just going to follow them. And and that's okay. That might not be a bad um, strategy for getting your job, um, making a high salary. The question, The question is... Is that worth living one's life out that way? And I think this is where our faith is really put to the test. Because if we don't start from the goal in mind at the end, then we will justify compromising our faith in what scripture is in order to achieve this end goal that that is the same as everybody else. Right? In other words... If we do end up copying the patterns of the world in terms of what our end state is, what we want to ultimately stand for, what we ultimately want to be able to demonstrate when we're held accountable by God, if that's the same as the world, then we'll always find some way to modify and compromise whatever teaching or scriptural belief that we have to get there. The the trajectory of life are is determined by the small things we make but where we end up is sort of the end right do we want to be a good and faithful servant do we want our names to be written in the book of life and so i think starting with some of that really pulls back into okay well it does matter what this worldly indoctrination is it does matter whether i am becoming friends with the world so Let's take a look at why is it that most people just, they they aren't realizing their arguments against the knowledge of God, except for the extreme examples, the really big polarizing ones. But those are the ones that I'm like, you know, the reason why people get there is because the small nuances 
have been accepted, and then it becomes a compromise upon compromise. And the reality is the first time is we we don't really accept the reality that there's an indoctrination by the world in the first place. And the word indoctrination, indoctrinated, is part of the problem. It has ominous overtones, and it just sounds really extreme. And there will be a natural resistance. Oh, I, I can't be indoctrinated. That, that, that sounds like I'm living in a, a different society than where I am. But it's you don't have to be in a dystopian society. You don't have to be brainwashed by a tyrant to be indoctrinated because indoctrination is really a fancy way of saying being taught, to teach into. So your parents, even if they were well-intended, there's some level of indoctrination, hopefully, but not always, in the ways of God and the freedom through the gospel in Christ. But that's not always the case. It's the same with your teachers and professors. They all have a point of view where they're indoctrinated. And they're not just indoctrinating. They're not just teaching you skills like math or programming or literature. There's something underneath in many cases. The content that you ingest, whether it's Netflix or YouTube, could be what you're reading on Kindle, it's the podcasts, the news. All of those things shape how you think and how to believe. They're also a form of indoctrination. And so as you can see, many of these can be absolutely useful. It can be seemingly just neutral, useful information. But even within church context, it doesn't guarantee the indoctrination is healthy. So behavior and their words. So I've been around elders which will quote and misquote scripture and misuse it. Or their own behavior runs contrary to what it means to love one another. And so... When we see it and we accept it and we start seeing that that's the normative behavior, that's the standard, we've also been indoctrinated away from the truth of God. Which is why the only way is to take ownership in the study of Scripture. And so the second way to that is the counterpoint is, on the first part, is you've got to be aware there are forces of indoctrination. And the second one is to reject your own ignorance scriptural illiteracy and a lack of relational depth in the full knowledge of Jesus leaves you vulnerable to indoctrination, which is any argument that differs from God's truth. And it really is both. It's an understanding of scripture, being able to really meld your mind in what the word says, seeing how it as a system works together, but also coming from a relational depth with who Jesus is, because that's how it becomes real. That's how it has a spiritual insight. You're able to see what's typically unseen is through that spiritual relationship with Jesus, entirely trusting your life with him. Is That's how we realize the unseen. So how do we get there? And I think the onslaught is getting so intense that going to church once a week for a sermon, which may or may not have a lot of heft to it, attending a small group, those might not be enough. 
And so the question to answer is, do you have a Cliff Notes mind or a cover-to-cover Bible mind? Like, what is the mind that you have? And it's been so easy. I just hear, hear people take snippets that are popular of verses, but it doesn't have the heft and the depth that can only come from meditating it, debating it even. So, reflecting on your own level of ignorance and then rejecting staying that way. See, once you have those two in place, right, an awareness that there's indoctrination going on, that your thoughts are under assault, and also you're taking the effort to know Jesus and the fullness of the word, You can take thoughts captive. You're aware that your thoughts are being kind of hijacked, and then you take them captive under submission to Christ. And this is actually a very, uh, the way the scripture references a very active, intentional word. I mean, the take captive comes from the Greek, which is used in a military context of taking prisoners. It is a very active intentional. And what's so interesting to me is that this captivity, taking your own thoughts captive, is a way to free your thoughts. Now think about that. That is, to me, very mind-blowing. It's it's taking them captive, saying, I am going to constrain them to what I know the truth is, and put these boundaries around them in some places, but open them up to see what others don't see. And taking them in obedience to Christ gives them a freedom. And so I would like us to ponder today, how do we get a freedom from the worry, the anxiety, the rat race, How do we get a freedom to pursue what actually will matter that we can't really see clearly right now by taking our thoughts captive? This is one of those very seemingly strange ideas. And I think because it's strange, it's not spoken about a lot. But I actually do think it really is a very important It's much easier to just go and say, you are loved. Christ loves you. Christ died for you. It's it's much easier to go there than it is to actually stop and think, but what's the reality that I'm facing with my mind right now? Even if that's a reality, if my mind isn't renewed in this, it has not been renewed by putting my faith in becoming a new person. And as a result, I think through things differently. I keep thinking the same thoughts. I keep following the patterns of the world as it is. It, 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 it feels like it's missing out on much. Now, clearly, if one gives ourselves lives over to Jesus, and we do that, it is only in that trusting God. It is not through our works that we are saved. So we, we have that belief. But there's, there's a lot more to that. And it gets hidden in this cheap grace of, yeah, I know I said that long time ago. 
but the f- real freedom and fruit doesn't really show up. But we gloss over it because we we want to ensure that people don't believe they are justified by works, right? But just because we don't work ourselves into justification, just because we can't work ourselves, it has to be grace, doesn't mean that something doesn't happen in terms of the nature of our lives and what we desire, what we want, what worries us, what we think about. Um, it's very possible we have, can believe we've put our faith in that, but then because these anxieties are there, because we haven't had a way to address it, we, we start to kind of like struggle. There's this middle ground I'm realizing is, do we really believe? Now, I don't want to be saying, oh, if your life and your behavior is in a certain way, you don't believe in your salvation is at stake. This is not about fear. It's not about fear-mongering whether you are saved or not. That That is an unhealthy thing. I think what is healthy, though, is to ask, oh, but I, I, I want to place my trust I thought I placed my trust. I desire to do this. But have I? Now, there are people who seem like they follow Jesus, but I think they were still saved, right? Like, I'm not sure if someone who says, oh, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And then Jesus says, no, you're going to betray me a couple of times before the, the rooster crows. And he ends up doing that. I, I, I mean, that was total betrayal. But I think he still followed. So I think that there is, there is a, and showed a faithfulness. So I, I think it really is not a point in time. I think if you're listening to this, being able to plumb your own depths of, hey, have I compromised what it means to actually have faith and believe by changing what I'm thinking. The other side is, you know, one of the other courses that I teach, and it's a series on this podcast. You can listen to just if you go through it, it's titled that when I think I put it as a separate season, is breakthrough. And there are many people that are just struggling. And life is hard and they desire to follow Jesus. And sometimes those struggles and I talk about it in that in a different context is because of what's going on in our in our head and our hearts and our beliefs system. And so I, I actually really do believe that this glossing over of facts of doctrine, and I believe proper doctrine is good, but until we know how to take captive our thoughts, identify the areas we are being persuaded and also build a relational understanding of Christ to see the world as he intends us to, we will have these challenges. And I know this might start to get abstract, and if you have questions about this, please go to the comments or go to the show notes. Provide places where you can ask questions and I'll answer them in the podcast or if not, I'll link to them um, in a newsletter and you'll, you'll, you'll get, get that information. But if you're listening to this, go to the description, the show notes, where you can find out how you can place your own 
uh, questions, and I can flesh this out for you. All right, thanks.